I'm Morgan Shortle, and you're listening to the September 23rd, 2009 podcast from the Kansas Historical Society. In this podcast, museum staff reveal the story behind the story about artifacts featured on the Cool Things section of our website, kshs.org. Jesse James is probably the most famous outlaw in the history of the American West. Jesse and his brother Frank led a notorious gang of desperados that terrorized much of the Midwest in the years following the Civil War. Based in western Missouri, the gang often raided into Kansas, robbing banks and trains. In 1874, they staged a raid on a Kansas Pacific train just west of Kansas City. This robbery would lead to lethal consequences for one member of the gang. Join curator Blair Tarr and me as we take a look at the rifle that brought this outlaw to his timeless end. And then, in keeping with today's notorious theme, we'll connect William Allen White to Philadelphia Eagles quarterback Michael Vick. Vick recently did time in the Leavenworth Federal Penitentiary for operating fairly extensive and vicious dogfighting ring. What possible connection could there be between our favorite Kansan and PETA's poster boy for animal cruelty? Find out when we play Six Degrees of William Allen White. The first shoot to kill. Good afternoon, Blair. Good afternoon. Uh, today we're talking about a rifle that was used in a shootout with members of the notorious James Gang. Now, I'm sure our listeners are familiar with the names Jeff- Jesse James, but there's a lot of folklore and myth around the fi- this famous outlaw. So before we get to the rifle, can you give us some background on the Jesse James? Well, I think most of them are familiar with his TV show where he makes the motorcycles. And, he, of course, he's also married to Sandra Bullock. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> Not that Oh, Jesse you want James. the other Jesse James. I'm sorry. <laughs> Uh, yes, well, this uh, I'll try to keep it short because anybody can get into an argument over the James family very easily. Both Frank and Jesse James were from a Missouri family that was had pro-Southern, pro-slavery background at the time of the Civil War. They both rode with Missouri guerrilla units for the Confederacy. Mm-hmm. Frank was with Quantrill at Lawrence during the raid in 1863. Some say Jesse was there too, although that seems unlikely, although he did ride with Bloody Bill Anderson, another one of the famous Missouri guerrillas. After the war, they kind of, well, there was still that animosity in Missouri, not only between Missourians and Kansans, but even between Missourians. It was a very divided state Mm. during the war. And Jesse and Frank got the reputation of being outlaws because they did rob banks and railroads in particular. This made them folk heroes to some and just plain outlaws to others. Well, their history goes on to that finally in Missouri, even though they were tolerated to an extent by the government over there, the point came where that couldn't, be, couldn't happen anymore. Jesse was shot and killed in 1882, and Frank gives himself up and after a trial gets a rather light sentence and is released and lives his life in relative peace. All right. Well, thank you for that background. And now can you describe the rifle for us? I understand it has some German origins. Yes, and uh, this is where my two years of high school German are probably going to fail me. I'm not quite sure of the pronunciation of it. It's a I'll give it a try. Schutzen rifle, I believe. Either it's Schutzen, but I think it's Schutzen, yes. Schutzen has rifle. Uh, but uh, <laughs> it's a very nicely well-made gun. It's a shooter's gun, something that is used in competition. 
very often, not a repeating gun, as if I remember correctly. But what really probably stands out as you look at it is back on the butt plate. Mm -hmm. It's curved so that it fits into the where the arm and the shoulder come together right. neatly to help give you a little more stability as you're shooting. Okay. So it's it's a very nice gun, actually, a very well-made gun, and the good German farmer who owned it was probably very proud of it to some extent. It's and he used <laughs> it for shooting squirrels? He used, well, that, yeah, he refers to it as an old squirrel gun, but he was also a, uh, Lewis Berman was his name, he also participated in competitions. Oh, okay. So he was actually a, a, a good marksman, actually, from what... Uh, has come down to us. Okay. Um, this rifle was used in a shootout with members of the James Gang, uh, but there was a particular train robber in Kansas by the James Gang that preceded this shootout. Can you tell us about that incident? Yes, this is in December of 1874, and again, it's one of those things you don't know if either Jesse or Frank were, was actually at the shootout or not, but it involved members of their gang, including a William McDaniel. There was a, a train that was held up at Muncie, Kansas, which is about 12 miles out of downtown Kansas City okay. uh, in Wyandotte County. They blocked the tracks there, which stopped the train, and took off a Wells Fargo safe. And they took out quite a bit of money, some gold. It was one of those things that sort of includes a bit of the nice Robin Hood-type legend of the Jameses because they first took a gold watch from one of the railroad employees, but then one of them said, no, we're giving you your watch back. This isn't personal. This is business sort of type of thing. So uh, so the, <laughs> as long as they got the Wells Fargo property, that was enough yeah. for them. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't realize Wells Fargo had been around for that for this long. Yeah, they've so been around quite a bit. So, yes, uh, uh, what happens, though, then is that McDaniel is seen in Kansas City drinking of all things the chief of police like i said sometimes they're tolerated the changes yeah. <laughs> and they didn't really want to do anything but he gets a little too drunk and finally he gets arrested and they realize that he's part of the gang that was shooting stop the train so he's sent back to kansas to lawrence mm -hmm. uh, particularly and he's in jail there for quite a while actually a few months until there's actually a trial they're hoping that he'll name the rest of his partners in the crime and he never does who, we already know, you told us who this rifle belongs to, um, but how did he get involved in this shootout? McDaniel finally escapes from the Lawrence Jail, mm -hmm. and he's running around the Douglas County countryside. Uh, the authorities are after him, but then other people get involved too, including Lewis Berman, because he hears that McDaniel is in the area of his farm. And, and he's got a good shot. And he's got a good shot. He's got that Schutzen rifle, which is... <laughs> uh, and... It, he actually does run into McDaniel, and McDaniel has the better gun, probably, actually. It's a repeating gun. I'm not sure if it's a revolver or rifle, but he's there at the Schutzen, which is really more of a one-shot shooter's mm -hmm. rifle. And luckily for Berman, McDaniel is careless with his shots, but Berman is straight on. So he got him. He got him. He doesn't die right away. McDaniel makes it to a house, and... The people there call the authorities, and he's taken back to the jail, and he dies within hours. And never revealing the names. Never revealing the names. Man, it's an interesting story. Um, so how and when did the rifle come into the museum collection after all of this transpired? We got it in 1958 from a nephew of Lewis Berman. So it's quite a few years later. Quite a few years. Uh, <laughs> Lewis apparently even traded uh, the gun to his brother for some reason. I think he just sort of referred to it that he didn't want the old squirrel rifle anymore. 
which is sort of interesting. Yeah. But, <laughs> but we got it in 1958. It's been here all this time. Great. Um, so it seems like whenever famous people die unexpectedly, um, whether it's John Dillinger, Marilyn Monroe, Elvis Presley, uh, someone will claim conspiracy. There are folks who believe that Jesse James faked his own death, left St. Joseph, and then lived out his years in peace. Do you want to weigh in on that? Well, one side light I'll do before we get into that bit is that with Frank James, when he died in 1915, he was cremated. Mm-hmm. And James was afraid that his grave was going to be desecrated, Frank would rather. So uh, his ashes were actually in a bank vault oh, in probably. Kansas City for a long time <laughs> until his wife died, I think, in the 1940s. Okay. And she was cremated, and at that point they brought the ashes out and they buried her, in, they both in an independent cemetery, thinking that nobody, nobody would. would care at that point. And then, He's rested peacefully since that's, then. That's good, I guess. <laughs> uh, unlike his brother, who has been dug up once, at least once now. And <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I tend to believe all these people probably died when they were supposed to have died. Dillinger, yeah. Marilyn, Elvis, Jesse, John Wilkes Booth, Boston Corbett, and the most controversial Polly Shore's career. <laughs> oh, thank you for that, Blair. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Great, thanks. <laughs> And now it's time for another round of Six Degrees of William Allen White. Joining me today is Assistant Registrar Nikayla Zimmerman. Hello. And Museum Director Bob Keckeisen. Hi. This week, with the National Football League season well underway, we're connecting William Allen White to Michael Vick, one of the most recent additions to the Philadelphia Eagles roster. But that's probably not what he's best known for. (laughs) Bob, can you give us a little background on Mr. Vick? Sure. Well, Michael Vick is currently a backup quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles. And he was born in Newport News, Virginia, and grew up in the public housing projects there. And he displayed considerable athletic talent early in his life, and so his father steered him towards football. And in 2001, Vic was interviewed by a a sports magazine and said, sports kept me off the streets. It kept me from getting into what was going on, the bad stuff. Hmm. Ironic. Yes. (laughs) Well, after a prolific high school career, Vic chose to attend Virginia Tech on a football scholarship. Uh, And there again, he distinguished himself on the football field, so much so that he left college after his sophomore year to enter the NFL draft. And he was selected in 2001 by the Atlanta Falcons as their first overall draft pick. And he became the first African-American quarterback ever taken at number one in the NFL draft. So that's pretty impressive. Um, He went on to star for the Atlanta Falcons from 2001 to 2006. And in that relatively short time, he became the third ranked quarterback in terms of career rushing yards. He's a real versatile quarterback. He runs, he throws, he's... um, He's kind of exciting. Yeah, he's a very exciting player to watch. But uh, in 2007, Vic's home in Virginia was raided by federal authorities who found several neglected pit bull dogs as well as evidence of a dog fighting competition. Uh, Actually, several dog fighting competitions. Uh, So Vic and his fellow dog fighting buddies were charged uh, by a federal grand jury with conspiring to engage in competitive dog fighting, procuring and training pit bulls for fighting, and conducting the enterprise across state lines. So it wasn't just at his house. They were doing this several places. So Vic was suspended by the NFL, convicted in court, and subsequently sentenced to 23 months in federal prison. 
Well, he uh, served his time and was released from federal custody in July of this year, was reinstated by the NFL, and just signed as a backup quarterback by the Philadelphia Eagles. And he says he's become a changed man and will do all the right things now that he's out of prison, and one of which is resuming his football career so he can pay off all his creditors because he yeah. went bankrupt during all of this. So, And that kind of brings us up to today. Great. So, yeah. Well, thank you, Bob, for the background. And Kayla, I believe you have a solution. I do. Well, as Bob mentioned, Michael Vick is probably better known for serving time in prison than he is for football. Um, and he spent his 23 months in jail at at Leavenworth here in mm -hmm. Kansas, All right. as we Kansans know, I guess our claim to fame right now. Um, Leavenworth over the years has housed many notable criminals, including the Birdman of Alcatraz. And another notable inmate was Thomas Joseph Pendergast, who was a political boss that controlled um, Kansas City and Jackson County, Missouri during the 1920s and the 1930s. Pendergast was known for recognizing the political talent of Harry Truman um, before he became the U.S. president um, he was known as the senator from Pendergast. So <laughs> they were very closely linked. And if you go to the Truman Library, they, mm -hmm. they bring this up. So it's yeah. not like it's, you know, it's out there. Yeah, it's, know. it's pretty yeah. well known. Yeah. yeah. So while Truman was president, he uh, granted a half-hour interview to William Lindsay White in June of 1945. And William Lindsay was the son of William Allen White. All right. Well, great. So, there you go. Pretty direct connection. Yeah. Yeah, we've had a lot of luck lately. Yeah. I don't know how that's happening. <laughs> William Allen White, convicted felon. It's, yeah, it's a straight fight. shot. Yeah, who knew? <laughs> um, Bob, would you like to issue the challenge for the next episode? Sure. Well, as I'm sure all of our listeners know, October 9th is Leif Erikson Day. Uh, you guys knew that, right? <laughs> yeah, sure. Oh, yeah. Okay, Celebrate well, it every year. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, you won't believe this, but it was first observed in Wisconsin. Imagine that. And Leif Erikson Day became a national day of observance by a proclamation of the United States Congress in 1964. Leif Erikson, of course, was the Viking explorer who many believe was the first European to set foot in North America. How do you celebrate Leif Erikson Day? Uh, wear horns, I guess. <laughs> Dye your hair red. Yeah. Grow beard. <laughs> so if you think you could connect William Allen White to this Norse explorer who reached the New World 500 years before Columbus, just send your solution to podcasts at kshs.org. That's podcasts with an S. That concludes episode 90, Shoot to Kill. To see photos of the rifle used to kill a member of the James Gang, go to our website, kshs.org, and click on Podcasts. These podcasts aren't our only presence on the worldwide interweb. The Kansas Historical Society is also on Facebook and Twitter. Both are a great way to keep up with everything happening at the place for Kansas history. So come be our friend on Facebook and start following us on Twitter. You'll be one of the cool kids in the know. Come back in two weeks when curator Laurel Fritch tells us about a recent Kansas invention that's revolutionized the dining experience. It's a knife. It's a fork. It's the Nork. So, what's a new invention doing in our museum collection? Join us in two weeks to find out. This podcast has been a production of the Kansas Historical Society. Real people, real stories. Real stories.